from my heart and from my hand Why don't people understand my intention? Every so often we devote pretty much an entire segment to science topics, and by God, we're going to do that now. And this we're going to rely on the world's best scientific magazine, New Scientist, I think for probably almost every single piece we're going to talk about. Starting with this item from the July 4th issue. It's noted that coral reefs have a bit of fight in them. Some corals are able to withstand rising temperatures and can pass that trait onto offspring, onto offspring through their genes. This is good news that heat-tolerant genes may help corals survive, although every time we talk about a study that has the word may in it, you always have to stop and say, well, may is not exactly a powerful action verb. I mean, one might say that crop circles may be caused by space aliens, even though the best evidence seems to suggest that pranksters going out in the middle of the night with boards are causing them. But back to the piece. Warmer waters bleach corals. They strip away the photosynthetic microbes that live in their tissue and kill the coral. This has been a factor in some bleak predictions that most reefs might disappear this century. The warm water El Nino event of 1997-1998 wiped out 16% of the world's shallow reefs in one shot. The 2009-2010 event also saw a round of bleaching. And by the way, everyone but everyone seems to be predicting that we're going to have one hell of an El Nino this winter here in California, because we don't have coral reefs off of our coast, but this ongoing El Nino, or one that's starting, is now sweeping across the equatorial Pacific and has some people worried. But, according to new scientists, it may well be that um, the corals are going to be able to survive by, uh, like, through natural selection. The corals that do the best will pass their genes along, and perhaps um, all is not darkness. The piece quotes University of Miami um, scientist Andrew Baker is saying, it's great stuff. We're starting to see corals resisting heat stress in a variety of different ways. Well, we hope so. We also hope that people are going to get off their ass and start using whatever means you know, they can find to stop global warming. Apparently a court, you don't expect the courts to come to the rescue, but apparently a court in the Netherlands did something quite unusual last week. It ruled that the government must do much more to cut emissions than it is doing currently. The Netherlands was aiming for a cut of between 14 and 17 percent by 2020, but the court has ordered to make a 25 percent cut in the same time frame. The head of the environmental law firm Client Earth said it's a historic case. It's revolutionary in terms of requiring the government to do it. And apparently lawyers for Client Earth and others are working hard to try and uh, bring cases before the courts uh, of a similar nature. The legal principle that's being invoked in this case, and perhaps in others in the future, is that uh, governments have an obligation to protect citizens from harm. It's a principle which, uh, which some think may make these cases more likely to succeed than previous lawsuits in which individuals or groups sought recompense for losses caused by climate change. For example, 400 inhabitants of an Alaskan village called Kibalina, that's being lost to the sea, tried to sue oil companies for the cost of moving the village to higher ground. The suit failed because climate change cannot be pinned on individual countries or companies. Any lawyers out there have any insight on this, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. All right, let's talk about a medical mystery that may be solved or partly solved. Again, I hate that word may, but interesting piece here. 
Uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, you no doubt heard about it. It first entered the medical lexicon back in 1988 to describe a cluster of symptoms without an obvious cause. Doctors were seeing it in the Lake Tahoe area of Nevada, noted new scientists, and the principal symptoms were debilitating tiredness, but people also complained of sore throats, headaches, muscle pain, and various other manifestations of general malaise. The lack of clear biological cause, the fuzziness of the symptoms, and the fact that many of the people diagnosed were young professionals opened the door to smear campaigns. The media were quick to dub CFS yuppie flu. Magazine notes that although it has shaken off some of its more pejorative nicknames in recent years, chronic fatigue syndrome has struggled to lose the stigma. People with the syndrome still say they're not taken seriously, they're blamed for their illness, or accused of malingering. Treatments are often psychiatric, which are a great help for many, but unintentionally add weight to the idea that CFS has no physical cause. Back in 2009, there was a paper published in Science that claimed to have found an association between CFS and a mouse virus. That paper was later retracted when other teams failed to replicate the results. But now there is hope of a breakthrough. Researchers in Norway have been trialing a drug normally used to knock out white blood cells in people with lymphoma and rheumatoid arthritis. Turns out that two-thirds of the people who took it experienced major remission of CFS symptoms, essentially, essentially returning to normal life with bursts of vitality unthinkable while they were ill. The discovery, which sprang from a serendipitous observation, as so many things do in medicine and life itself, offers much more than just the promise of, of a new treatment. It suggests that the symptoms are somehow caused by antibodies originally produced to fight off an infection. The researchers speculate they might disrupt blood flow, leaving muscles drained of energy. If correct, and that's a big if, this brings the scientific story full circle. CFS was initially suspected to be a post-viral syndrome, the lingering after-effects of an infection of Epstein-Barr virus. It was later found that that was not the explanation. Anyway, as explained uh, further in New Scientist, the latest study on um, the drug in Norway it implicates the immune system, at least in some cases. The drug rituximab wipes out most of the body's B lymphocytes, which are the white blood cells that make antibodies. Researchers think that antibodies are to blame in at least a proportion of people with CFS. Relief started four to six months after the first dose of rituximab, approximately the time it would take for existing antibodies to be cleared from the body. Interesting stuff. We hope they are on to something here. All right, and conversely, some people we're pretty sure are not on to something are string theorists. <laughs> New scientists had a special report on fundamental physics and notes in a piece by Michael Brooks that the fight is on to bring theory back to reality. We've been fond of quoting Richard Feynman on this program, who took a rather dim view of string theory and said, um, string theorists don't make predictions, they make excuses. And a quote from the Michael Brooks piece, it was in many ways a declaration of war. A group of physicists had launched a rearguard action to restore experimental data to what they see as its rightful place back on their subject's throne. Last week, the Perimeter Institute in Waterloo, Canada, ho hosted its inaugural Convergence Conference at the same time as Strings 2015, which is evidently the world's largest string theory conference taking place in Bangalore, India. The magazine quotes Perimeter Director Neil Turok as saying the timing wasn't entirely accidental. Although string theory attempts to describe the universe in one theoretical framework, it makes no attempt to explain experimental results. We've been given these incredible clues from nature and we're failing to make sense of them, he told New Scientist. In fact, we're doing the opposite. 
theory is becoming ever more complex and contrived. We throw in more fields, more dimensions, more symmetry. We're throwing the kitchen sink at the problem and yet failing to explain the most basic facts. So this conference was thrown together with the ultimate goal to give young theorists alternative paths to pursue. One's guided by empirical evidence. <laughs> Actual evidence. Several physicists touted dark matter and dark energy as the best areas to focus on. Maria Siporopoulou of the California Institute of Technology said dark matter is the biggest problem in physics. She suggests that gravity might be the thread that links dark matter, the invisible stuff that makes up much of the universe's mass, with dark energy, the even more mysterious stuff forcing the universe apart, as well as the Higgs boson and unsolved problems of why neutrinos have mass. This creates fertile ground for new theoretical ideas. But, notes the Michael Brooks piece, dark matter has surprised everybody by failing to show up in earthly experiments, not even at the Large Hadron Collider, which was expected to produce it by the bucket load. So what the hell is going on? I don't know. We're not physicists, but <laughs> I do know this. We don't think too much of string theory. In this, we are following Richard Feynman's lead. In science, you have to be able to make predictions you can test as being true or not true. If, if, if you don't have that working for you, you might as well be in religion. Right, here's an item that may not be all that terribly surprising if it comes under the headline of hybrid vigor, which is um, something we've known about in plant breeding for a long time. If you cross two different strains, you sometimes get some happy results in a stronger uh, hybrid. Uh, well, this may be true for people as well. New Scientist July 4th issue notes that um, it's good to be mixed up. People whose parents are distantly related are, on the average, taller, smarter, and better educated than those with closely related parents. It's been long been known that children are more likely to suffer from genetic diseases if their parents are close relatives because they might inherit the same harmful gene variants from both mother and father. But to probe the wider implications of this, the University of Edinburgh analyzed genome and life history data from 350,000 people. They found no link between having closely related parents and most of the traits they looked at, like cholesterol levels and rates of diabetes. But for height, lung function, cognitive ability, and educational attainment, there was a strong association. Of course, when you get talking about uh, genetics and intelligence, this makes a lot of people very nervous, so the magazine was quick to say genetics is just one component of intelligence. Of course, cognition depends on a lot of environmental factors as well, and of course it does. And speaking of genetics, I was quite taken by the book review in the magazine. You know, we, we often quote book reviews, and we probably should actually read the books, but, you know, time is short, and this is one of our better cheats. At any rate, Claire Ainsworth writing in the magazine about the book, The Deeper Genome, Why There Is More to the Human Genome Than Meets the Eye, and, and also a parallel work, The Developing Genome, An Introduction to Behavioral Epigenetics. Well, there's, there's a lot here. Talking about the book, The Deeper Genome, the reviewer notes that uh, the author provides an elegant, accessible account of the profound and unexpected complexities of the human genome and shows how many ideas developed in the 20th century are being overturned. Take DNA. It is no simple linear code, but rather an intricately wound 3D structure that coils and uncoils as its genes are read and spliced in myriad ways. Forget genes as discrete protein-coding beads on a string. Only a tiny fraction of the genome codes for proteins. And anyway, no one knows exactly what a gene is anymore. A key driver in this new view is ENCODE, 
the Encyclopedia of DNA Elements, which is an ambitious international project to identify the functional parts of the human genome. In 2012, it revealed not only that the protein coding elements of DNA can overlap, but that the 98% of the genome that used to be labeled inactive junk is nothing of the sort. Some of it regulates gene activity. Some churns out an array of different kinds of RNA molecules. Some tiny, some large, many of whose functions are hotly debated. Said ENCODE scientist Ewan Burney, it's a jungle in there. It's full of things doing stuff. It should be our quote of the day. It's full of things doing stuff, which prompted Claire Ainsworth to say, that's one of the most apt genome metaphors I've ever read. Yes, I have to admit, back in the 20th century, I was taught that, you know, genes um, basically are what are uncoded from the DNA. You make a copy of RNA. The RNA goes forward out into the cell. Ribosomes, which themselves are part RNA and part protein, latch on, and you make proteins. And that's how everything worked. And, of course, now we know <laughs> that's a real crock. Turns out that manufacturing RNA is just at the tip of a giant iceberg. RNA is doing all kinds of things, regulating genes and other stuff. It's actually much more biologically active than we've known. Perhaps sometime in the weeks or months to come, we could bring on a first-class biologist and sift through some of this stuff. Because, man, it is a whole new ball game. Something else that may be a whole new ball game, and, and by the way, a bit of follow-up on our talk we had with Bob Berman on this program a couple years back. Uh, Bob Berman is a is a great uh, columnist for Astronomy Magazine and, and, and a pretty good astronomer uh, along the way, and an author of, of some repute. We spoke to him about his book, The Sun's Heartbeat. We wound up going from talking about the sun in an astronomic sense to the sun in a health sense, and the idea that uh, having a little bit of sun is probably a good thing. We all have a sense of this, but we've all been told to stay out of it now by dermatologists for the past generation. Addressing this issue in New Scientist was dermatologist Richard Weller, who started off by noting that unless you've been living under a stone, it'd be hard not to have heard that sunlight's bad for you. In fact, if you're living under a stone, it's probably because all the, me the messages we get about sunlight and the risks of skin cancer. He adds, this is, of course, quite correct. A vast body of evidence links sun exposure to skin cancer. What is lacking, however, is any evidence that sunlight is bad for you. If by bad for you, we mean it shortens your life. Ask a dermatologist about the evidence that sunshine raises your risk of dying, and there will be an embarrassing silence. He adds, after a century of knowing the link between sunshine and skin cancer, this is not good enough. In fact, there's increasing evidence that keeping out of the sun may be killing you and in more ways than you think. He goes on to note that even the most ardent sunphobes acknowledge that sunlight has health benefits, but these have largely been put down to vitamin D. People with the highest vitamin D levels tend to be healthier. They're less likely to have high blood pressure, diabetes, strokes, or heart attacks. In fact, they're less likely to die prematurely of any cause. This raised hopes that a simple vitamin supplement, vitamin D, could reduce a lot of major causes of death. Many studies have now tested the effects of vitamin D supplements on health, but the results have been disappointing. The incidences of cardiovascular and metabolic diseases are not reduced by these tablets, and although they can boost bone health and possibly be a benefit against some forms of bowel cancer, vitamin D is not the panacea that many believe. It accounts for some of the sun's health benefits, but not all. The author said, I believe that it is often a marker of sun exposure, and sunlight has other benefits unrelated to vitamin D. 
The group he's working with has found another mediator that they think might bring benefits from sunlight. Nitric oxide. That thing that gets raised in the body a bit when you take Viagra. Notes Dr. Weller. Nitric oxide has many roles, but a major one is the Nobel Prize winning discovery that it dilates blood vessels and controls blood pressure. In 1996, we discovered that the skin produces this gas. This is because the skin contains large stores of nitrate, which the ultraviolet radiation in sunshine converts to nitric oxide. When the gas enters the circulatory system, it lowers blood pressure by a small amount, and that can make a big difference. Notes the author, high blood pressure is the world's leading cause of premature death and disease because it leads to stroke and heart disease. Even a small reduction of blood pressure across the whole population will reduce overall rates of stroke and heart attack, and sunlight may, and there's that word again, may, may well do this by getting the skin to release nitric oxide into the blood. Interesting. He notes that sun-produced nitric oxide may also help explain some blood pressure puzzles, why the average blood pressure in the UK population is lower in summer than winter and the correlation between latitude and blood pressure. People living closer to the equator have lower blood pressures than those at higher latitudes. Wow. Since Viagra and similar compounds uh, work through boosting your nitric oxide, I wonder how long it's going to take Pfizer to pick up on this one. Of course, the story, I don't know if we've told this story on, on Radio Parallax, but the story is that Viagra was originally thought of as a blood pressure medicine. That was, it was originally tested for that. It was felt that by dilating blood vessels, such as what, what you know, nitrates do, it, it may be able to have a happy effect on one's blood pressure. Well, it, it, it turned out that when they did the testing that Viagra was kind of a crappy blood pressure medicine. But the guys enrolled in the study, when it was over, didn't want to give the pills back. And when the researchers inquired as to why that should be, they revealed an unexpected benefit from the taking of Viagra. And the rest, as they say, is history. We should take a short break at this point, so let's do that. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We got, got some more, so stick around. Stick around. 